are listening to the official podcast of The Congregation, a place of discovery with Pastor Tim Story. Today, I'm excited that Pastor Stefan will be teaching because he is one of my favorite teachers and I get to hear the best everywhere. Guys, 75 countries of the world get to speak at the biggest conference, best conferences in the world and to say that Pastor Stefan is one of my favorite teachers right now in the body of Christ is saying a lot. So all the way from Southern California, let's welcome with a big clap, Pastor Stefan Unias. Boom. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Man, who feels good this morning? I have been... Um, studying like crazy. Um, but I got to say, I'm in such a good mood. You know, it's so wild how Christmas just like changes your mood. Christmas is my favorite time of year. Uh, I love Christmas. I feel like I dress up more every day. I do my hair. I take a little bit longer during the Christmas season because it's Christmas. And so uh, we're starting a brand new Christmas series uh, that I'm super excited uh, that Pastor Tim asked me uh, to do the first one in this new series. Uh, and so the new Christmas series is called Flipped the Script, How Jesus Flips the Script. Uh, and so the tagline of the series uh, is how, uh, it's amazing how Christmas changed the world. Amen. It's an amazing thing how Christmas changed the world. And I think we can all feel it. You know, every year uh, at my house, uh, my mother, Pastor Paige, always does this amazing party and she invites, excuse me, and she invites all these people and there's, there's like so many pies, it's ridiculous. And you ever go to someone's house and there's like so much food that only 30% gets eaten and then everyone takes it home and then you're always judging people how much they took home? You're like, why did... She just take three pies. I just said she could take a quiche, and she just, like, cleared the whole. Anyway, so we do that every year, and, of course, this year is going to be different, uh, and so no party this year, um, and we're going to be uh, doing everything online. Uh, odds are we will have a, a Zoom family Christmas <laughs> with everybody, uh, and then we'll send everyone the pies. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that even though we're all going to be on Zoom this Christmas, it's amazing how much I am still feeling the Christmas joy. It's incredible that even though we go through a season, or at least personally I'm going through a season where I might not have all the trimmings that I enjoy every year, I'm still super hopeful. I'm still super excited. I still feel like it's a reset that is happening in our lives. And I think part of the reason why that's the case is because I know what Christmas is truly about. The celebration is great, the presents are great, um, the, the lights are great, but ultimately as a person of faith, we are celebrating how God flipped the script on the trajectory of the world. And we're celebrating what it means to be a person that believes and knows a loving and living God. Amen? And so today, the title of this message today is Everything is Gonna Be Okay. 
I want to repeat for everyone who is listening at home watching me, do not worry. Everything is going to be okay. Amen? Give a clap for that. Because I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in the things that are in front of us. But I think Christmas is a time and a season for us as people of faith to celebrate, to find joy, and to realize how involved God actually is in the world. And how the structure of our lives and the direction of our lives is ultimately decided by the living God who came to earth during this Christmas season. Amen? And so I want to talk about that today. And, and the verse I chose is Colossians 1. Um, and so as I said earlier, I've been reading a lot of scripture uh, this week. It's, it's just been one of those devotional times. I'm telling you, this season is like a crazy season. It's almost, it just gets me in this like incredibly good mood. And so I start reading a lot and I start spending more, much more time in, devo- in devotion. And so uh, I thought Colossians was so important for the season. I think it's the perfect verse to jump us off as we begin to celebrate Christmas and as we begin to allow God to flip the script in our minds, in our lives, in our families, and for this new year that is coming. And so I want to give a little bit of background. So Paul is in prison, and the reason why he's in prison is because he was telling people that Jesus was king. And that was illegal at the time. Because Caesar was supposed to be king. He was supposed to be the son of God. Caesar was supposed to be the king of kings. So when Paul comes around and begins to tell people about the Messiah, and he begins to tell people about the resurrection, Rome did not like that, and so they threw him in prison. And so he was now in prison, most likely with Timothy, who was a traveling companion of his. And while he was in prison, he gets... Um, visited by a man named, and I'm going to mess this up, Ephesus. And Ephesus was a friend of Paul. He was a fellow Christian, a fellow pastor, and he was from Colossae, and he had started a church, and Paul had never met this church before. He'd never been there. So he was visiting Paul and telling him about all the great things that was happening in Colossae, which was this little town, and there was even a smaller church, and it was this really small group of Christians, and they were there, um, and they were in God, and they were growing, and they were recruiting every day, and, and, and they were growing in, in love and wisdom and peace. And so Ephesus was there to let him know about what was happening, but he also wanted to ask Paul for some advice. And he wanted to, write, he wanted to ask Paul to write a letter to uh, his home congregation, because his congregation was having some trouble and they were dealing with a lot of pressure and they didn't know how to handle it. And so the congregation was dealing with two kinds of pressure. They were dealing with external pressure. So there was a lot of litmus test Christianity kind of going around. Uh, There was a lot of pressure on that church um, mostly about uh, following Jewish laws and customs. You kind of see that in other verses in Scripture and Galatians and other areas. So there was this like constant pressure that different members were putting on each other on how they should kind of function. And, and the second thing that was happening was that there was a lot of internal pressure and turmoil. Because within the, in the Greek world, um, everything had to go through a God if you wanted to get anything done. And so if you were Greek and you were from that time, you were always concerned about the principalities and the powers. 
uh, because they were polytheistic, right? So for instance, if you needed money or you needed a job and you were worried about that job, you would go to Plutus and you would give an offering to Plutus and he would help you out. If you were worried about love or you had problems in your marriage and you were really concerned that like the powers might push you one way or another, you'd go to Aphrodite and you would go and give her a blessing and just hope that the forces that govern the world, the spiritual forces behind everything would kind of push you in that direction. If you were worried about being robbed or that maybe your small town would be sacked or, or that you uh, had to go to war, right, and you were in the military and you were kind of scared about violence, you would go to the god of Mars and you would say, Mars, hook me up. I need some help. And you would probably give him something, an offering. And so it was kind of a really anxiety-driven world. I wouldn't really want to be a first century Greek, because they were always concerned that the quality and the function of their life was going to be restructured or reoriented by the powers of this world. And it's interesting because the more you read it, the more you kind of get a sense is that we kind of have a similar language today. You know, obviously we don't do it in terms of gods. Like when you're worried about your job, you don't go to Plutus and give him some money. Uh, but we do often talk about the powers as something that structures everyday life. And so, for instance, now with COVID-19, everyone has gone through a shift in their businesses. And so the language now is economic forces and powers. So we always talk about that. We always say things like, yeah, the economy. Or like, man, economic forces are really putting pressure on my business. Um, or we, we talk about it uh, when it comes to Washington a lot. I hear people all the time will say things like, yeah, um, partisan forces in Washington have gridlocked D.C., right? Um, or cu the culture wars, we get that similar sense. There's like that language of, well, there's all these forces, there's all these pressures that we can't control or see that are dictating our lives. And all of us have been in this internal anxiety the past year because those forces have been stronger than ever. And everybody is kind of feeling like our lives are being controlled by things we can't see. And so it's, so, it's super interesting to me that you could read the anxieties of a first century Greek and apply it to today, and it's very similar in terms of the anxiety one feels. That in the same way that a first century Greek was running around always internally worrying about what will happen to them because of some force that might change their life and trying to be on the right side of that is very similarly the modern anxiety that we are all dealing with today and trying to navigate through this constant feeling like something outside of us can internally change the trajectory of our lives, of our jobs, of our families. And so we, we feel like we're having to kind of make a way in all that. Does that make sense? Is the comparison clear enough? And so Paul is talking to his friend Ephesus, and he says, I got a letter that I want to give to your congregation. And I love it because it really is a letter. If you ever read the book of Colossians, which I'm going to do, I'm going to read a portion of it. It is a letter from Paul to a congregation he has never met, kind of like us, to encourage Christians who feel overly pressured, kind of like us. And he has a word for us that I think is going to bless us this morning. So I'd like to read it. And 
I also recommend just as a pastor, because a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people about reading scripture. Um, and sometimes the best thing to do with scripture is to read it like a letter. Because we often focus on one verse at a time, which has its benefits. But sometimes it's great to get a sense that it was a person who was writing to a congregation just like ours. And so the letter of Colossians was actually designed by Paul to be read out loud. And at the last paragraph in Colossians, uh, Paul says, make sure that you read this to the congregation. It is from me to you. And so in that tradition, I kind of want to read a piece of it. So this is the start of the letter to us. Paul, an apostle of King Jesus by God's purpose, and Timothy, my brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the king's faithful family, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord, King Jesus, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in King Jesus and the love you have for all God's holy people, because of the hope which is kept safe for you in your heavenly places. If you're a person like me that underlines everything, underline verse 5, because of the hope which is kept safe for you in heavenly places. We'll come back to it. You heard about this before in the word of truth and the gospel, which has arrived on your doorstep, just as, in fact, it's producing fruit and growing in all the world, as it has been among you from the day you heard it and came to know the grace of God in truth. It's like us. We're growing in fruit. We're growing in wisdom. Verse 11, I pray that you will be given all possible strength according to the power of his glory so that you have complete patience and become truly steadfast and joyful. So Paul wants us to become steadfast and joyful. And I pray that you will learn to give thanks to the Father who has made you fit to share the inheritance of God's holy ones in the light. For he has delivered us from the powers of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He is the one in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I just want to read this poem he quotes. He says, he is the image of God. This is Jesus he's talking about, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in the heavens and here on earth, things we can see and things we cannot, thrones and lordships and rulers and powers, all things were created both through him and for him. And he is ahead prior to all else. And in him all things hold together, and he himself is supreme, the head over the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the start of it all, firstborn from the realms of the dead. So in all things he might be the chief. For in him all the fullness was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself making peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, yes, things on earth are also things on heaven. Skip another two verses. This gospel, after all, has been announced in all creation under heaven. And this is the gospel which I, Paul, have become its servant. And so I want to break down a couple of things immediately that Paul says. The first one is I love that at the end he explains that I have, I serve the gospel. 
I am committed to the gospel. I, my life has been shaped by the gospel. And the gospel is that God has arrived. And that's what we celebrate during Christmas. The idea that Jesus was born, that God came to earth and was born in this world. And what that promise means to our lives. Because it's so easy to get wrapped up in what the powers are doing. It's so easy to feel like we're walking on pins and needles. It's so easy to feel like the structure of our lives, the structure of what happens to us is somehow defined by forces we cannot see. But the thing about Christmas, it's an inauguration of the truth about the reality of life. And that truth is that God is alive. And he's not somewhere else. He is here. You know, it's interesting if you talk to, like, the average person on the street and you ask them about what they think, uh, who God is, or, or most people would say they believe in God, but then you begin to unpack what they actually think. And almost always they describe God probably kind of like that cartoon, like some, probably this old guy on a cloud somewhere who's very disconnected with the earth. And if he shows up in a Touch by an Angel episode and heals someone, we kind of don't know why he did it. It's not really connected to anything. You know, they might say things like, uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. It's, it's this kind of sense, it's this story about God that humans are fundamentally on our own. That we're out here by ourselves, and if there is a God, he probably is around, but he doesn't seem very interested in our lives or the trajectory of our lives. And if we get lucky, maybe he does something cool, and we probably don't know what it all means, but ultimately... The relationship is that we're on our own and that God is far away. But the thing about Christianity is that Christianity wants to tell a different story about who God is and a different story about the relationship between God and humans. So in the Christmas story, we get the exact opposite image. So God is not far. He's near. God is not a being that doesn't care. God is a God who deeply cares. God is not a God who you can't know. God is a God that you can know, that shows up on your doorstep and presence transforms your life. The story of Christmas is a story about how God broke into our world and decided that what happens to him is going to happen to us. It's a story about intimacy. It's a story about relationship. It's a story that says what happens to you is in God's hands, that you are not alone, but the opposite, that you are living in the presence of the living God, and that what happens to you is ordered by him. But it's not ordered by someone who's far away. He's ordered, it's ordered by you in that Jesus and God, they're walking your life out with you. And they are there to put the broken pieces of your life back together. I was thinking about this just today. Uh, I had some car trouble like two weeks ago. And um, I have a a BMW 3 Series, which is like the entry-level one. Um, and the funny thing is about BMW, they're like impossible to work on. You can't just like fix stuff. And, but I remember when I was a kid that I, my first car was a Volvo and 
I, you know, I grew up in South Orange County, so I naturally grew up in a culture that said, maybe you shouldn't fix your car. Maybe you should go to Nordstrom's. Like, there's something about Orange County culture that, like, pushes you to, like, not really be that hands-on kind of person. And I remember my car broke down, and I was outside a donut shop, and I was 16, and I was freaking out because that was the first time in my life my car had ever broken down. And I called my dad, and I was like, do we have AAA? Like, what are we going to do? Like, things are broken. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm over here. You know, I'm 16. I got work in 10 minutes. And I remember my dad said, he goes, I will be there in 30 minutes. I go, okay, I'll have a donut. You know, I'll have a second one. No, no complaints for me. <laughs> and so I remember my dad showed up, and I thought he was going to show up with the tow truck. And he showed up with, it was the radiator that stopped working. And so he showed up with like a new radiator. And I was like, where the heck did you get this thing? And he goes, yeah, I went to Pep Boys. It's $300. By the way, I'll bill you. I have all the things you're going to need. <laughs> and he, I was like, what, am I, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, I don't know how to fix this. And he goes, I will teach you. Don't worry. I'm here. I work for Saab. He always reminded me. We're going to fix this. And I remember for the next two hours, we we literally opened the car, put it on jacks in front of that stinking donut shop and fixed the car. And for like the first hour, I was so embarrassed. You know, it's South Orange County. It's a nice area. It's a nice donut shop. And like people are coming in and out. They're, still, they're looking at you. I look crazy. I'm all oily. My dad. And I remember I just was deeply embarrassed. And I remember for the last 30 seconds just how proud I was that my dad had showed up and he ended up helping me. Uh, and I got this sense, you know, as a kid, as, uh, particularly as a male, that sometimes when your dad shows up, that's like an amazing thing. Because even though things might be broken, when the right person shows up like a father, he's able to put the things back together. And I think that sentiment is so true in life, but it's also, I think, at the core of the Christmas story. There's this sense that the world is fundamentally broken. We all have brokenness in us. Like, we all know that the world doesn't work the way it should. You know, we just went through this election season, and, and I think everyone on both sides of the aisle all think that, like, there's something wrong with Washington. There's something wrong with the structure of power. Like, we all know that we need governance. We all know that hierarchies matter. We all know that you need structure. You need an economy. You need all these things. But on some fundamental level, it's kind of like the powers of this world are kind of broken, and they're not working totally correctly and that creates a lot of problems and suffering that don't need to happen and shouldn't happen. And there's a sense of deep frustration of the failures of the systems and structures that govern the world. And so in the midst of this, now we have God coming to earth. And God not only comes to earth to be present with us, but he has come as a father to begin fixing, to begin renewing, to begin to put the things back together that we need put back together. And that's what Paul wants to say. And that's what Paul talked about in terms of 
the powers. He's trying to teach the church in, the church in Colossae is the same thing he's trying to teach us, is to say that when you believe in Jesus and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you have to do it in a way that's total. Is that Jesus and the resurrection, the victory of God, is not something just for your spiritual life. It's not something that's just for a part of your life. It's for your whole life. It's for everybody's lives. It's for the whole creation and the trajectory of that creation. He just doesn't want to fix your emotions. He just doesn't want to fix your spiritual life. He just doesn't want to fix your family. He wants to fix every broken thing in all of creation. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that the powers have been defeated. And it's such an interesting point because he's writing from prison. And he's in prison because he had said the powers have been defeated. And one of the things Paul is, is, is kind of picking up on this tradition, and, and he's talked about in other areas of the gospel, is, is what the cross does. Because the cross is the great moment of truth in the history of the world. And truth has an ability to cut through lies. Truth has an ability to expose things. Because everybody wants to keep things in order. Everyone has like their truth, right? And that's kind of how lies work. That's how deception works, is that it kind of keeps everybody in a fog. But truth has a way of revealing what ultimately matters. And so what Paul is saying is that the reason why the cross is a moment of truth is because it exposes the lie of the forces of this world. It exposes the fact that Caesar isn't the king of kings. It exposes the fact that empire doesn't decide who should live or die. It exposes the weaknesses and the frailties and the ultimate failure of the powers of this world, spiritual and physical. And the reason why it exposes them is because it reveals the truth of the ultimate power of Jesus and the love of the Father for the Son, which resurrected him. And so as Christians now, we can do things like we believe that God forgives us of our sins. We believe that sin does not define the value of who you are. So you might have failed. You might have had some struggles. You might have had moments you're not proud of. But guess what? God does not treat you as your sins deserve. So your own retardation is not going to decide your value. <laughs> that ultimately, you are valuable because the creator of the world who created you looked at you and called you righteous. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you hustle. It doesn't matter how much you failed. God looked at you and said, in my eyes, you are righteous. And I will love you regardless of anything you have done and will do in the future. So even if you don't feel valuable, guess what? You are infinitely valuable. And if you can't accept your own value quite yet, then use my value as a substitute. And let that value minister to you so you can begin to embrace and see yourself the way I see you. It's hard to be charitable and find generosity and, and, and lift other people up. Well, guess what? You can do it through the power of God. 
Because as you get into God, you'll begin to see the world as if God sees the world. And you will begin to understand the ultimate value of everyone around you. Amen? And so you get this sense as the cross as being something which exposes. Well, the cross also exposed death. That death is not the ultimate power in the universe. You know, I studied a lot of um, I studied a lot in school, and I went to graduate school, and um, I studied some psychology, and any psychologist know this. You know, there's, there's famous psychologists, one being Freud, and Freud famously, he always talked about how ultimately life is a tragedy. And he was kind of the first person in the modern world to make that point, that regardless of how hard you work, that ultimately you're going to fail in life. And that kind of nihilism that Freud explored kind of made its way in the modern, moder- in, like in modernity, in the thought of, of, of the world. So a lot of times if you read a lot of, if, if you watch a lot of movies or if you listen to a lot of music, a lot of music and movies are quite tragic. They're kind of nihilistic. Like you get this sense that like ultimately everything fails, everything falls apart, that death wins. And so the cross exposes that as a lie and says that death doesn't win in the end. That your life isn't a tragedy. That the forces that are pushing you internally and externally don't have to get the best of you. And ultimately, they're not going to get the best of you. Why? Because Jesus was the sinless human. He was the perfect human. And so even in our failure, we are able to experience full humanity through our standing with Jesus and his embrace of us. I was talking to Pastor Paige just a few weeks ago when we were doing a, a quip night, and one of the things I, we were talking about he, Hebrews and this idea that, that God orders your steps. And um, in God's relationship, in our relationship with God, like how God is with us ever presently. And I said, you know, in the book of Hebrews, the sentiment is not that God is just present, that he's just not ordering your steps. Kind of in that initial way, the way I talked about it, like a God high above us is ordering our steps in kind of a governing way. The way that Hebrews talks about God ordering our steps is he basically says that Jesus has walked your life already. By Jesus becoming human, by God becoming human and living in the person of Jesus, doing ministry, dying and resurrection, and resurrecting, what does that mean? That means that God has walked your steps of your life before you. And in those moments you fail, he didn't fail. And because he didn't fail, Jesus not only walks with you, but he's also awaiting you. He's also there in the end of your journey. He not only structures your life, but he has lived your life. He has gone through the pain. He has gone through the disappointment. He has gone through the moments of temptation. He has gone through the doubts, the rejection. He has gone through your life, and he has made it. So as you go through your life, Jesus now looks at you and says, I'm not only going to walk with you, but I'm also the end of your story. 
I'm also what's awaiting for you at the end. I'm here to not only be your brother, but I'm here to tell you you can make it. Why? Because I've walked this road before. I have walked your life before. And you're going to be okay. And I love this. There's a clap for that. There's a, uh, a theologian I really like, and, and he talked about what it meant to be a Christian, and, and I love this so much. I think about it all the time. He says, to be a Christian is like watching a movie from the end first. And to be a Christian and understand the resurrection is like to get the ultimate spoiler alert to the drama of your life. Because all of us, I think, see our lives as a movie. Rebecca, you can play. All of us are living out the story. And we all have anxieties about how things are going to go, how things are going to end, you know, like what's around the next corner, you know. And we're constantly, like our, our brothers and sisters in that church in Colossae, kind of trying to deal with the forces and the powers and make the best that we can in our businesses and our lives and our families. And, and it's easy to be gripped by fear. I think 2020 has been a season of fear for everybody, a season of not knowing a season of, of being on pins and needles. And so what Paul wants to say is that Jesus is the author of your life, but he is also the finisher of your life. That to be a Christian means to know the end of the story. It's to know that the powers of this world, the forces that pull on you, they don't really have any sway. They don't really have decisions they don't decide anything really that who makes the decisions is Jesus and he has decided that you are righteous he has decided that you are in right standing with him he has decided that you were worth it not to throw you away but to come and put you back together to renew you to restore you to bring you afresh. You know, I love that. I, I watch sometimes those shows where they renew things, they re restore things on TV. And they'll always take like an old car and restore them. And when they first bring it, it looks like a piece of junk. And you're just like, who would keep that, first of all? Like, who kept that in the garage? But then you'll see a craftsman who will take the time to spend with it, to refresh it, to renew it, to restore it. And then you see it again, and you go, man, how beautiful is that piece? I can't even, I don't even understand why anyone would even let it fade away in the first place. There's that sense that you get, and that is the true spirit, I think, of Christmas. That is the true spirit of what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to celebrate that God is alive to know the end of the story, even though we're in the middle of our story. And to know that you matter. God is renewing you. He is restoring you. He is reshaping you. And you are worth every penny to him. You are worth all the time. You are worth the struggle. You are worth everything Jesus had to do to get you to look up for a second so you could see his eyes you were worth it and do not worry my friends don't
don't worry, my brothers and sisters. God not only has your back, he has walked the journey you are on now before you. He knows every crease in the road. He knows every pothole. He knows every trial and challenge. He has been around every single corner that is ahead of you. And he's not only here to walk with you, but he's also telling you, you're going to make it. Everything is going to be okay. All the things that you are worried about that are going to take you down or push you aside, they don't matter. They have been exposed for what they are. And the truth has been revealed. And the truth is that God is alive and he has you in his hands. God bless you. I just want to pray this morning. I'm really feeling God's presence. How many of you just feel God's presence? You know, it's interesting because we haven't been around each other. And it's easier sometimes to feel God's presence when we're in person. But I think it's so important that we never forget that we are all connected. We're not just a community. We're a part of the body of Christ. And we're not held together by Zoom. We're not held together by buildings. We're not held together by internet. We're held together through the Holy Spirit. All of us, every Christian living today and every Christian that lived before, are all united in one Jesus. And where two or more are gathered, doesn't matter if you're at home and I'm here, when we come together, God's supernatural hits our natural and something incredible happens. And so I just want to take the next few minutes to let Rebecca sing. And I just want to say, regardless of what you have been through this year, just take a few minutes and open your heart. Say, God, I don't know. 2020 has been nuts. But Father, I don't want to miss this Christmas season. I don't want to miss what you have for me in this season. I don't want to miss what it means to know that God is alive in my life. Let's just take a moment. You're going to make it. You're gonna make it after all How do I know He told me so You're gonna make it You're gonna make it after all How do I know He told me so You're gonna make it final word to you this morning so then just as you received King Jesus the Lord we've all received King Jesus the Lord you must continue your journey in him don't give up you must put down healthy roots in him being built up brick by brick in him 
and established strongly in the faith, just as you were taught, with overflowing thankfulness. Amen. Father, I thank you for every single person in the congregation family. I thank you for every single visitor who is visiting today and who's watching this. Father, I pray a prayer of protection over them, that you will protect them in all things. Father, I rebuke every force and power in their life. And I embrace what you call the transference of the darkness of this world to your new world. Father, you are the author of our lives, but you are also the finisher of our story. To be a Christian is to live in the new exodus. It's to leave slavery. It's to leave the things that bound us. And it's to embrace freedom. It's to embrace the promise of the kingdom of God. Father, in this season, show yourself to this family. Let your presence be in this family. Let's people, let people from all over the world be transformed by your love that is present here. Let you be the king of our lives. Let you be the one to decide what happens to us and open the doors that you want us to walk through so that we might be witnesses to your power. We might be witnesses to your love. We might be witnesses to your peace and your mercy and your joy. And Father, most of all, give us the love that will carry us through so that we might be your hands and feet during this season. Let us be your light, reminding all who you are, the victory that happened in you, and what it means for every single person in the world. Thanks for listening to the Congregation Podcast. For more information about the congregation, including gathering times, locations, and how you can give and support the community, check us out online at www.congregationchurch.com. Thank you.